Hey, I, I'm excited about our continuation here in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick up here where we left off on verse 11. We're just going to take 11 to 16. The focus is on Sarah and, uh, and summarizing a little bit as the writer writes to these believing Hebrews, uh, in Hebrew, uh, the, um, these Jewish believers that uh, walked away from Judaism, uh, understanding that Jesus is the only way, and that you are, have eternal life. You're saved based on faith and faith alone, not on rituals, not on religiosity, um, not on heritage, but truly on your uh, surrendered faith and trust, or complete trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. But and like everyone, even then and still today, you can get challenged with your faith and cause and people can draw you back into religion, back into that you can earn your way to heaven. And like you have to do things for God to be able to go to heaven. And it's that kinds of things that the writer here too, we see in he, the, the book of Hebrews is trying to encourage him not to go back to the old Judaism not to religiosity, not into things that you think you can earn or pay your way into heaven and somehow pay your repentance and pay whatever and pay whoever in the church system to somehow you're going to please God and be able to go to heaven. They walked away from that and the writer's telling them, don't go back to that. that that's, that's, that's the old covenant. We're talking about the new covenant. It's all about the blood of Jesus being shed for you. That is what you trust in. The complete and finished work of Jesus on the cross. Nothing you and I can do to earn our salvation, eternal life. And as we have learned, faith is confidence in God that leads to obedience to God. True faith is based on what God says and it is demonstrated in what we do. People with faith do things for God, and God does things for them. Any faith, or I should say, and faith, is a necessity or necessary for believers' life. We've been studying in the book of, of chapter 11 that we need faith to be able to worship God. We saw that through the life of Abel in verse 4. We need this true faith in, as well in our walk with God. We saw that in the life of Enoch in verses 5 and 6. We need this type of faith, this true faith in God, to be able to work and do what God's called you to do, to do it faithfully. We see that through the life of Noah in verse 7. We need this type of faith to be obedient or to be obeying what God wants you to do, to do on a daily basis. We saw that through the life of Abraham in verses 8 and 9. Today, we're going to see that we need this faith for us to faithfully be waiting to have this relationship with God that is really based upon faith. We need this faith that God gives us to have, as we will see, demonstrated through the life of Sarah. And it's kind of a blend between Abraham and Sarah. They kind of go together. They're one. Remember, they're husband and wife here. And we will see that in verses 1 and 2, how they faithfully waiting upon God and what God had called them to do as promises to them that we see in the Scripture. Now, as we read of these people with great faith, we see that they made their mark in history because of this faith. This faith truly just based on God's promises. God revealing his word to them. They didn't see it all. They didn't know it all. They didn't have, all they had was God's word and his promises. That's all they had to live by and they trusted everything he said. But... These people that we've been learning about and their faith that allowed God to put them in print for us even all these thousands of years later is still a fact that they were not perfect saints. 
as we will learn today, Abraham and Sarah was not perfect. But that didn't change the faith that they had in God Almighty. It's very important you understand this. Because many people are shaken by their faith or their walk in God or being obedient to God or waiting upon God or walking with God or willing to worship God because you're not perfect. Let me emphasize to you, my brothers and sisters, you're not perfect. I know some of you think you're perfect, but that is a pride issue that God is going to work out of you. It's only a matter of time. But even though we're not perfect, that doesn't change who we put our faith, complete faith in. Where faith is in our God Almighty. Their son Isaac, we see, is born based on a promise the nation of Israel began by a calling upon Abraham to leave a land and that he would receive a son. God promised Abraham and Sarah a son, but they had to faithfully wait for 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled in their life. 25 years. I counsel some families, some couples, they, they couldn't get pregnant after the first month and they think their life is falling apart. But if God says you're going to have a baby, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have a baby. <laughs> God's word's not going to fail you. 25 years they waited faithfully. And their son Isaac became the father of Jacob and Esau. And it was Jacob who really built the nation through the birth of his 12 sons. That's how God designed it. And certainly as you study the Old Testament, we will, you see that played out. But it's even interesting, after those 12 Sons, the youngest, Joseph, the youngest, saved the nation in the land of Egypt. And then ultimately Moses was used by God to later deliver them out from Egypt. Faithfully waiting. One of the most difficult disciplines of a Christian life. Faithfully waiting. Why is it so difficult for a believer's life? Because you haven't developed the fruit of patience and long-suffering. That comes through testing. That comes through trials and tribulations. But if you will hang in there and trust God, you're going to produce a fruit that is beautiful of patience. And you will be able to learn how to faithfully wait upon God and what he says he will do in and through your life. Yet true faith is always able to wait for the fulfillment of God's purposes in God's timing. Oh, I trust and I believe in God. I read his word. I know for sure. It's no question in my mind. I believe every single word in, his, in, his, in the Bible. No, I don't question that whatsoever. <laughs> the, the, the challenges for you and I is faithfully waiting for God's timing to fulfill the promises that he shows us. That's it. It's us patiently waiting. But while we are faithfully waiting, we must be obeying. It's said in verse 8, by faith, Abraham what? Obeyed. By waiting upon God, Abel worshipped. By waiting upon God, we see the fact that Enoch continued to walk with God. As he was waiting and seeing what God was going to do, Noah continued to work and complete what God said to do, even though he did not see what this whole reason and purpose was. We see Abraham obeyed when he did not know where he was going in verses 8 through 10. He didn't know where he was going to live. He just knew he was going somewhere. 
He lived in tents because he was a stranger, a sojourner, a pilgrim we see in the scriptures. And it would be this this stranger of this world that he was living in. It became a a pilgrim, a sojourner in this world he lived in. He used to be part of it and God called him out of it. And now he finds himself being strangely different than everybody else. Not weird. (laughs) As Christians, we're not to be weird. We're just going to be different. Not wrong, just different. And we see as we look at this, the scriptures that he's, he's a sojourner in the world and had to be ready to move whenever God spoke. He was, had to do whatever it was that when God spoke, he was to do it. And the emphasis was that he was obedient Christians today are pilgrims and sojourners as well. We see that even noted in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. We're also referred to that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. The question is, are we ready to go home? Our heavenly home. Do we realize that as Christians, this is not our home? This is where God birthed us, physically. But our home, as believers, is a heavenly home. We're just waiting every day. You've heard me say it many, many times if you've been with me. I always refer to it as a vacation gone bad. I can't wait to go home. The cruise has got to stop. God, get me off this boat. and Get me into your arms. Abraham had eyes on the heavenly city that we saw last week and lived in the future tense. He lived for to know where he was going. He was going to be in the arms of God at some point, some way. He did not know how, didn't know when, didn't know what, any of the details. He just knew what God's promises were. Do you? Abraham also obeyed when he did not know how God's will would be accomplished in his life. And we're going to see that even more specific here in verses 11 and 12 with Sarah's life. Follow along here in Hebrews 11. 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man of of, and him as God good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So faith, by faith, Sarah. Remember, Sarah is not perfect. But it was by his, her faith in God, that's what made her right. She wasn't had faith in herself. She didn't have faith in, in the other people. He, her faith, her life was based upon a faith in God. That's what gave her the stability of her life. Because people come and go out of your life. Your faithfulness weans based on the weather sometimes. Or a lot of times. There's a lot of things that can cause us not to be faithful to what God's called us to do. But your trust in God, he never changes. He's always faithful. We worship that today. Did you, under, did you really believe that, what you were singing out loud to God? When the Lord and the two angels came to Abraham's tent and told him his wife would conceive, what did the wife of the father of faith do? What did she do? She laughed. She laughed in unbelief. A laugh in unbelief we see in Genesis chapter 18, verses 19 through 15. Later on in Genesis 21, 6, we see that she laughs again. Do you know what the difference is? It was a laugh of of faith. Good God had changed her during that period of time. What would make someone change? Sometimes life experiences, failures, imperfections 
The realization that you are not perfect. And that you at times can fail. We see here that both Abraham and Sarah were too old to have children, it says here. She had not had the strength to be able to have a sexual intercourse with his, her husband. She was 90 years old. He was 99 years old when this promise came. But the scripture says that she, he gave her strength to conceive the seed. And gave her the strength to bore a child through labor. That's really for young women, do you not? It's not ideal for older women. you got to have strength. But God miraculously gave her the strength to be able to be impregnated and also deliver that baby. God can do anything. But what came, what, what drew that strength? What allowed her to have that strength? We see that because she judged him, God, faithful, who had promised that they were going to have a child. That faith was given based on an understanding of who God is. That faith comes down to judging, or another word there is concluding. She concluded that her God Almighty was faithful and he was going to fulfill the promise that they was given. That's where her faith came from. It's purely on the word of God. What is your faith based on? It should be on the word of God. Because if it's not based on the word of God, what are you basing your faith on? A church system? A church movement? Church history? Church religiosity? Church rituals? A church, a building? What are you basing your faith on? Your eternal hope of going to heaven. There should be only one. And that is an absolute Absolute surrendered faith in God Almighty. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what they had too. But they did not have what we have. They only had the promise that the Messiah was coming. We already know the Messiah is here. They had a promise that there was going to be a nation that was going to be created through them. We got to see hindsight that nation built. Because of the faith of Sarah and Abraham, thousands and millions of descendants were born. Their faith had an impact and more lives than, than they ever dreamed of when they heard, God said, you're going to have a son. We have no idea as much as we think we know what God is going to do in and through your life based on a promise and the magnitude and what the potential of what God can do through that promise. When Sarah comes on the scene, her faith is spoken of that by her old age, who had never had a child, she was barren. She, for her whole life now of 90 years, had to deal with the looking down upon her life because in those days, if you didn't have a child, there was something seriously wrong with you. 90 years she had to endure. Every party. Are you pregnant yet? When are you going to get pregnant? Why can't you be pregnant? You know everybody else, Aunt Susie got pregnant. She's on her third kid. How many do you have? Do you not think that that was over, especially in that culture that really placed an emphasis on women must have children? Why? Because her livelihood in those days, if she didn't have a lineage, a, 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 a 
children to help support her. She was in trouble if her husband died. This was not just identity of having children. Fulfilling the, the inner desire, the inner need as it God put placed within a woman to be a womanhood, to have that ministry of women, of, of motherhood, I should say. No, no, their livelihood could depend on their survival if they had, didn't have children to help take care of her. There's no social system out there. Family took care of family. Yet she received the strength to conceive and to bore a son. A lot of times we read of these people of faith. And we sort of think of them as some super saint. And as soon as you read and you see people, and they're like, wow, look at the faith in that man. Look at the faith in that woman. Look at what God has done and accomplished. And immediately, if you base it upon your observation, you can sometimes, many times, people will say, I could never do that. You're right. You can't do that if you don't have faith in God because God's the one doing the work. You think it's the man or the woman doing the work. They're not doing the work. It's just God working through them. They're just vessels that God, they were willing vessels to allow God to, and they took the steps. God said, take a step. They took the step. That's their part. But God gave them the strength to take the step. God gave him the word to tell him to take the step and their, their love for God allowed them to take the step even though they didn't know if they were going to go over a cliff or where it was going to be or what the weather was going to be where they're taking me. No, they didn't, that didn't matter. Early on, God instructs Abraham to leave his home from Haran. He's age 80 or 75 at this point, and he, God says, you're going to leave your family. You're going to the land of promise at age 75, so pack up your wife, pack up all your servants, all your household. You're going to a land you've never been to before. Scripture tells us he didn't argue with God. There's no signs of argument. Or anything. He was what? He was known as a being an obedient and faithful man. So he packed it up. Nephew Lot says, I want to tag along. But God didn't say, he, you know, he, he could tag along. But he, Abraham said it was okay. And that's a whole other story. Last time I taught, I remember God showed me. I always wondered, why would Lot go? And why would Abraham even encourage that? I mean, I just never all these years. And it hit me when I was studying it uh, here. Uh, when we were talking about it last week. It hit me. Lot lost his dad. Abraham kind of became that, that man in his life that he wanted to stick with and stayed. But that was me. You may have a different perspective of that. But here is age 70, uh, 75, Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. He says to Abraham, pack it up, go to this land because you're going to, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you beyond your understanding. And Abraham, a faithful servant, obeys God, and along with his wife and Sarah, at the time he was called Abram, she was Sarai, and Lot and family and possessions and everything else, they take off toward Canaan. Now you know the story that when they get to Canaan, they stop, they parked right there just uh, east of, of uh, or west of Bethel, right there in Jerusalem, right there in that area, sets up an altar, worships God. We're here, praise the Lord. Oh, this is great. And at some point, as some something happens, and they start that famine starts happening in the land. And what did they do? They leaned on their own understanding, is what I would call it. And said, we're going to die. The famine's bad. This is terrible. And nowhere in the scripture shows us. But all we know is that they packed up and they went to Egypt. Nowhere did it say that God said to pack up and go to Egypt. 
they thought it was best to pack up and go to Egypt because they had a fear that they may not survive. But, but, but Abram, God said we're going to have a nation. God said to go to this promised land. God didn't tell us to go anywhere else. But I feel like it. I don't like it here. It's a famine here. I think it's better somewhere else. They say there's a better place to go called Egypt where there's food. Ah, leaning on your own understanding. Reacting out of fear. You should have seeked the Lord on that before you went. Why? Because we see in the scriptures that while on the journey down to Egypt, Abraham and, and Sarah become, gets tested. The first test comes when Abram tells Sarah, tell everyone that you are my sister. Because if you don't, and they know I'm your husband, they're going to kill me so they can, Pharaoh and all the, the entourage down there can have you because the scripture tells, me, tells us that she was very beautiful. In her 60s, she was very beautiful. And out of fear, what did she do? She agreed with her husband to lie to whoever asked. And sure enough, Pharaoh's people came. Oh, this is my brother. I'm the sister. Oh, great. You're coming to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, you're gorgeous. He's going to be another part of his, his entourage here. And we're going to lavish Abraham with all the gifts and stuff because that was the custom of the day to do that for the brother. <laughs> but God. <laughs> we know in the scripture what happens next. But God starts bringing a plague upon Pharaoh and all the people. Pharaoh got the clue. Something's not jiggy. Something clearly is not jiggy. And we got to figure this out. And they find out they were deceived by Sarah and Abraham. That was husband and wife. And even Pharaoh, an ungodly man, even knew that he wasn't supposed to touch her. And that this plague was brought upon him and his people because their God Turned on. And so in his right mind, Pharaoh said, get out of here. Take you and your barbecue and head back up to the, wherever you have came from. And off they went. Now it's interesting. As Sarah and her husband makes it back up to Canaan. They're, once they're in the land, they have to wait now, faithfully wait 10 more years. Before God then reveals to them again the promise that he said back in Haran that they were going to have a son. Ten years before they actually have the son. But before they have this son, Sarah no longer patiently waits for that son. She comes to understanding that there's no way she can have a child. And so what does she do? She leans on her own understanding once again. And she comes up with a, a great idea. Let me help God. And says to her husband, Hagar, my maidservant, the Egyptian, Who's with us to help me? Why don't you sleep with that woman? And what and during that culture, whatever baby was born was actually the owner, the, the, the master's child. So she says, You can sleep with Hagar. And Abraham, Abraham had to think for probably two seconds, and sure, honey, I'll listen to you. I'll be obedient to you. I'll follow through with what you're telling me to do. And of course, Hagar gets pregnant. Now, everyone here knows what kind of challenge that would cause. And sure enough, we see in the scripture, there is absolute conflict now between Hagar and Sarah. Hagar looks down upon Sarah because she was able to get pregnant, and you still can't get pregnant. And I am a wife now, and another additional wife to Abraham. And look at me, and I should be have the prominence because I'm able to bear children for him. That doesn't go well with Sarah. 
Sarah then starts squawking in the ear of Abraham. And Abraham, instead of being the man, godly man, stepping up and saying, Sarah, you're right, I should have never listened to you. That emotion that you were going through, that really low time you were emotionally kind of moved me to do. No, no, he didn't say any of that. He still childishly stepped back from his leadership role and said, whatever you want to do, Sarah. Honey, you whatever you want to do. He didn't want conflict. I don't want conflict. I'm just going to stay really quiet so my wife doesn't have another emotional moment here and flip out on me. So you just do whatever you want to do, Sarah. No, no. Abraham, you're a man and you're the leader of the house. You stand up and you address that with Hagar and deal with her and move her on. Why are you telling your wife to now have to deal with this? Well, we don't have the full story of why other than he wasn't doing his leadership role as a husband to deal with the issue. He caused it. He should never listen to his wife on that subject, just like his wife shouldn't listen to her husband about lying and trusted God that was going to bring him through Egypt. Hagar leaves, and then God sends a messenger. Says, Hagar, no, 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 no. you got to go back. She goes back, have the baby, You know the story. Ishmael is born. Many, many great scholars believe Ishmael is the father of the entire Muslim faith. Is the Jews having a problem with Ishmael today? Hello? Do you see how that decision of emotion caused now the entire history of conflict in the Middle East? Amazing. But here we see two people, a man and a woman, husband and wife, in the catalog, the history of faithful people who trusted and loved God and what His Word promised them. But they weren't perfect. God was working in their lives working in and through and and working out of those lies. And we see in Genesis 17, now when when they're about, after having this Ishmael moment, we now see that God comes back and says to Abraham once again, hey, I told you you're going to have a baby. Ishmael's not the son I was talking about. That son's coming from Sarah. There was no other person involved in this thing. I don't know where you were thinking. I don't know what Sarah was thinking. But Sarah's the one who's going to have this baby. And what happens here? We find these three men show up. Angels show up. Tell them, no, no, Abraham, you're going to, Sarah's going to have a baby. And what did he do? Abraham actually laughed at God. Can you imagine? You're 100. She was 90. In 25 years, or 24 years, and probably a year of birth, if you want to figure out the technicalities of that. Let's just keep it simple, 25 years. And nothing's been happening like you thought was going to happen. It's not certainly playing out the way you thought it was going to happen. But it happened. And she bore a son. She bore a son, Isaac. But in that promise... God told Abraham, not only are you going to be, have a son, but once this son is born, you're also going to have a covenant with me and you're going to get circumcised. And every male eight years and older will be circumcised the rest of the generation upon generation as a covenant, an outward sign of your covenant to God. And sure enough, he got circumcised and then circumcised every male, eight years and older, all of the servants, anyone who was connected to that nation. Not long after Sarah and Abraham conceived, and these three visitors show up and gives this once again confidence of understanding the covenant and understanding of what was needed to take place, even Sarah overheard while she eavesdropped from the tent laughed and from this foretelling of the fact that she was going to... Again, you can see signs of 
not having a solid faith at times. Because her, the faith was really stretching. Like it's almost like it's too good to be true. And that's where we get challenged as a believer. Because when you live by sight and not by faith in God, you have a challenge doing and almost kind of disregarding what God is showing you he wants to do in and through your life. And you can come up with all kinds of reasons why you won't do it because, 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 and what ifs, and she told me I, she won't do it. No, he won't. He says he won't do it. You'll blame everybody. But I want to encourage you. If you want to live by faith, you must put the voices away and just focus on God's voice when it tells you something. Don't get me wrong. You should listen to your spouse. If she's a godly woman, if he's a godly man, you should be listening to them. God can be using them in your life. That you're one. But that doesn't change what God is telling you. And if he's only telling you something to do something, be patiently wait because God will confirm it to her or to the other spouse on what God's calling you to do. I knew God was calling me to the ministry as much as I denied it and refused to believe it and accept it for a long time. My wife knew me. <laughs> Are you kidding me? God's going to use you. I know you. I'm your spouse. I know you. Yeah, she does. I know it's, it's amazing to me too. But guess what happened? Over time, God confirmed to her, yeah, this is a calling on your husband's life. This is what we're to do. It was only a matter of time that was going to happen. Why? Because it was God's calling. I didn't have to convince her. I didn't move forward without her. Because it affected her too, you know. <laughs> we're one. See, Abraham and Sarah... They were so much together. And yes, she was willing to go with him. And then yes, she was willing to do this and go down to famine, even though God didn't say to go. And all these things. They weren't perfect, but that didn't change their faith in God Almighty. They may not have believed him at that moment in time. Their, all their actions didn't quite follow and line up over time. But it was enough faith for them to continue to move forward. They had a son. Because God gave him the strength to do it. There would be, I would say, five things just in these verses alone that I want you to, if you're taking notes, as a takeaway from this, this, this lesson on Sarah and Abraham here. Verses, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. He is God. He is our Heavenly Father. He is not limited to the laws of biology and, and, and uh, physics. He's not limited. His presence is everywhere. He knows all things. The second is God always delivers on his promises. If God promises in the scripture what he's going to do, it's going to happen. God promised Abraham that he would be a father of a nation. Third is God's timing is always perfect. <laughs> we may not think it's perfect. It's usually when it's done and we look back hindsight that we say, oh, his, his timing is perfect. But at the time we don't think it's perfect because we want what we want when we want it. But always, when God fulfills that promise, you look back and go, oh, I'm so glad he didn't answer my prayer about that and give that to me back 10 years ago or five years ago or two. God's timing is perfect. The fourth is patience is a virtue. Sarah and Abraham faithfully waiting and praying for years. God asks us to be patient. To do what he says he's going to do. And fifth. 
Yes, we all mess up. Yes, God doesn't hold it against us. Is that an amen from anybody? We're going to mess up because we're not perfect. But that doesn't mean our Heavenly Father holds it against us. He just patiently works with you and brings you through some more tests and trials and tribulations to get you to get refocused on Him. To faithfully wait upon Him. Now in verses 13 through 16, we see that the faith of Abraham and Sarah teaches us some very important lessons here. It says in verse 13, these all died in faith. All the patriarchs, all the ones we're talking about that God is showing that had faith in him, they all died. Not having received the promises. Everything that God said that was going to happen, they never got to see those promises. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them. But God gave them enough vision to see that this was true and this was going to happen. Even though they never got to see it. So they believed it from afar off. It's just like you and I. We know and believe we're going to heaven. It's far off. We don't know how far off. The second is that not only were they having seen them from afar off, we're assured of them. God reassured them of this promise. He came back and re- referred to them again a couple of few times. You're going to have a son. You're going to be the father of nations. That is why I changed your name from Abram to Abraham. It means father of nations. That's why he changed his name. And he told Abraham, now change Sarai into Sarah. This is a changed life. This is no longer going forward. This is how you are to live. You're going to have this son. This is the nation. This is a star. Everything's new from now on. He does the same thing for you and I. There's a moment, there's a change in your life where now your old life does not dictate your future. You start moving forward and doing and fulfilling by, by faith what God's called you to do. They were so focused on knowing and looking and considering the promise of God. They could see it far off even though it hasn't happened yet. They also knew and assured of them because they God validated that promise over and over to them by his word. We also see that they embraced them. They embraced them, taking the promise and embracing it in faith. I'm embracing what God has told me is going to happen. Can you imagine Abraham and Sarah? How many times they're sitting around a meal having a conversation or late at, late at night as they're going to bed and, and they're, you know, they become the oneness again. Uh, the conversations each and every day. God said we we're going to have a son. And they embrace that. And they also we see and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. They understood that this life they're living was temporary. That this promised land that God has given them, they understood that this promise, understood that this world was not their home. There was a bigger things that God had revealed to them that this is not their home. This is temporary. Messiah is coming. This is a promised land, but where is a heavenly bound? I'm building a city for you that we will see. We saw back there last week about a city that was being created for them. They, they understood heavenly thinking. They were futuristically thinking. And we're not so earthly bound that they said, I'm not doing anything and going anywhere. This is my home. Let me build my castle now. No, God promises you and I, he's building a mansion for you. So whatever you dream of your dream house is nothing. It's just going to burn. Abraham and Sarah understood that. They stayed intense. Everything was temporary because they knew they were going home. They weren't going to spend their fortune on building a castle. They're not going to put risk of their life by building a castle. They understood as a believer, their life was temporary here. 
And everything they did was for the kingdom, for God, and what they were doing, what his promises were. If these examples of faith endured through difficulty and discouragements without having received the promises, how much more should we have the ability to walk through this life through difficulties and discouragements and setbacks, having the promises already fulfilled? Jesus has arrived. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And we know that the future promises of him coming back for us is just around the corner. How much more should we have the ability to faithfully wait upon God and what he has called you and I to do before he comes back for us? By faith, the old saints saw the promised realities from a distance. But they persisted down the journey of life in a country that God said they needed to dwell in until he took them home. And it's so true for you and I. And it was very true for the readers who were reading this letter from this writer, this author, To encourage them, you must stay patiently waiting for God to do a work in and through your life. Don't go back to Judaism. Keep your focus and trust on God. Regardless of how you feel. Regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. Just like the patriarchs. Just like these men and women of faith. They weren't perfect. But they were faithful in the small things as best they could. Until God gave them more strength. And ability to follow through with what God said their promises he would do in and through their lives. Abraham believed and obeyed. He just didn't know when he was going to be fulfilled. You know, it's interesting in verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly, plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now their desire is a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We'll wrap it up here today with this thought here. Their focus, and our focus should be as well, is that are we like those who have such declaration of their lives, what they say, how they live, is it plainly said from their lives that they are from another place? That they're looking to seeking a homeland that they know they're going to? Do we live lives like we believe as Christians that God is going to take us home to heaven? I'm not saying sell everything and live in tents and everything else. I'm not saying it. I'm saying, are you focused on creating a lifestyle that is only from a mindset that this is your life and it's all here and nothing happens after this life? That's what most people live like. You, as Christians, if you've been walking a while, you may forget that majority of the population live like there's no life after this life. That whatever they do here is just whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I'm gone. I'm dead. I'm buried. I'm just down six feet in the ground. Or I'm just ashes in some little pot. I'm just going to build a lot of wealth so I can inherit it and give it to my kids and my kids in generation after generation. Hopefully they don't, they don't waste it. Or do you really believe as a Christian that this life is temporary and our home is in heaven. Are you homebound thinking? 
Because as we see in the writer here, they, if they, they, the, 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 the ones he's writing to, the readers of this, this letter, if they called to mind the country which they had come out of, they could have returned there. They could have returned to the old life. Any one of us could turn and decide to go back to the old life. Do you know that? That you could literally make a decision, I want to go back to the way I used to live in the world and stop pursuing the things of God. The writer sits here and says, no, 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 no. Verse 16, but they desire was a better desire. You must have a better desire than the old life. The desire is better to have a heavenly country that you're focused on. A heavenly perspective, a biblical worldview. That is what you need to have. Why? Therefore, it says in the end of verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. Ooh, that's a heavy verse. Because if you look at the coin of this, 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 this description, it says God is not ashamed for you and me to call him God. Why? Because we choose heavenly things. We choose to pursue him. We choose to live for him. We choose to live after him. We choose to seek him every single day. God is not ashamed of us calling him God. Oh, but my brothers and sisters. The other side of that coin is. If you do not seek after him, you do not live after him, you're living a cardinal life, you're living a life like worldliness, like you were not a child of God at all. Oh, it grieves me to think that I would ever ashamed, make my God ashamed of who I am. Oh, God, protect me for not to do anything that would bring shame to my family, to my God. Hello? He has prepared a city for them. God has prepared a city for you and I. May we live lives that are patiently waiting for God's return, for God to do a work in and through your life and to fulfill the calling that he has on your life, are you willing to wait patiently? Oh, I hope so.